0: Did the vice president ever waver in his position that he could not unilaterally decide which electors to accept?
1: The vice president never budged from the position that I have described as his first instinct, which was that it just made no sense from everything that he knew and had studied about our Constitution that one person would have that kind of authority.
0: And did the vice president ever waver in his position that he could not delay certification and send it back to the states?
1: No, he did not. Did Dr. Eastman admit in front of the president that his proposal would violate the Electoral Account Act? Um, Mr. Eastman acknowledged that that was the case. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, did he? I got the feeling there's something right. Well, that's interesting. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns still let me meet jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you i am from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for our special coverage of day three of the House, January 6th. Committee's uh, panels, open investigation, not even sure what to hearings. That's the word I'm looking for. Let me start here. Judge J. Michael Ludig is a wi- widely respected, very conservative former federal judge. At the time of his appointment to the Federal Court of Appeals by George H.W. Bush in 1991 at age 37, he was the youngest judge on the federal bench. Over the ensuing decades, Judge Luddig was often compared to hard-right Justice Antonin Scalia. He was mentioned frequently as being near the top of George W. Bush's list of potential nominees to the Supreme Court. I believe he was interviewed twice by W. Virtually all of Luddig's law clerks have gone on to clerk with conservative justices on the Supreme Court, a total of 40 of them over all of those years, 33 of whom clerked. For either Justice Clarence Thomas or Justice Scalia. In other words, Judge Ludwig is a very conservative judge, and it was to him that Vice President Mike Pence turned for advice before the January 6, 2021 uh, reading of the Electoral College votes in a joint session of Congress. In order to learn if, in fact, Donald Trump's attorneys, particularly a man by the name of John Eastman, were correct in telling him that the vice president had the legal legal and constitutional authority, essentially, to unilaterally decide the results of the 2020 election by either rejecting lawfully cast electoral votes from the states or pausing the certification at the joint session. Pausing the certification of votes for a number of days to allow Republican controlled state legislatures in several swing states to go back and decide if they really, really meant to certify Joe Biden's electors or if they might want just maybe to send Donald Trump electors to Congress instead. To his great credit, Luddig told Mike Pence that there was no such statutory or constitutional authority for the vice president. Today, prior to his testimony before the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January sixth insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and Donald Trump's many different attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election, Judge Luddig released a 12-page statement for the record warning that quote, a stake was driven through the heart of American democracy on January 6, and our democracy today is on a knife's edge. He charged, quote, the treacherous plan was no less ambitious than to steal America's democracy. And he wrote no uncertain terms using the correct words, by the way, to describe what happened. Finally, quote, the former president's accountability under the law for the riot on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th is incidental to his responsibility and accountability for his attempt to steal the The 2020 presidential election from the American people and thereby steal America's democracy from America herself. Did you hear that, Desi Doyle? I
2: did. Finally, somebody said it out loud other than you
1: to steal the 2020 presidential election because that is exactly what happened or what he had hoped would happen. Let continued to steal an election in the U.S. is to steal her democracy. We choose in our national elections those who want to represent us, including most importantly, the president of the United States. It is for this simple reason that to steal an election for the presidency from us is to steal our democracy from us. America's democracy was almost stolen from us on January 6th, Judge Luddick wrote. When I post today's show at Bradblog.com, I will leak link to uh, Judge Littig's full written statement because it was, frankly, remarkable. On the third day of public testimony by the House January 6th Committee, we learned, among other things, that Donald Trump's closest advisors viewed his last-ditch efforts to pressure Vice President Mike Pence to reject the tally of state electors and overturn the 2020 election as, quote, nuts and, quote, crazy and even likely to incite riots, as both live and videotape testimony from witnesses revealed during stark testimony on Thursday, as highlighted, for example, in this video montage shared by the committee about the debate among Trump's advisers, including his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who did not think this was legal, and his top White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, Debate about the legal theory being pushed by John Eastman that Mike Pence could simply reject electoral votes unilaterally under the 12th Amendment and the Electoral Count Act on January 6th. Pat expressed his admiration for the vice president's actions on the day of the 6th and said that uh, he concurred with the uh, legal analysis that that our team had had
0: put together to reach um, that point. It made no sense to me that in all the protections that were built into the Constitution for a president to get elected and steps that had to be taken, that the power to choose the next president would be sitting at, with the vice president. Do you know if Mr. Clark or Mr. Morgan, Mr. Morgan viewed about that, thought about that, Mr. Eastman's advice? Yeah, they thought he was crazy. Do you know if they ever expressed an opinion on whether they thought the vice president had the power that John Eastman said he did? I know for a fact that I heard both say that his theory was crazy, that there was no uh, validity to it in any way, shape, or form. And did they express that before January 6th? Yes. To whom? I think anyone who had listened. Okay. Uh, what were your prior interactions with Eastman? He described for me what he thought the ambiguity was in the statute, and he was walking through it at that time. And I said, to him, hold on a second. I want to understand what you're saying. You're saying that you believe the vice president – acting as president of the Senate, can be the sole decision maker as to, under your theory, who becomes the next president of the United States? And he said, yes. I said, are you out of your f in mind? Right? And I, so that was pretty blunt. I said, you're completely crazy. I said, you're going to turn around and tell 78-plus million people in this country that your theory is this is how you're going to invalidate their votes, because you think the election was stolen. And I said, they're not going to tolerate that. He said, you're going to cause riots in the streets. And he said, words to the effect of there's been violence in the history of our country, Eric, to protect the democracy or protect the republic.
1: Yeah. So who cares if there's riots in the streets? Of course... You know what happened next on January 6th, despite Trump's own advisers believing this scheme to have Pence overturn the election on his own accord. And even some of those advisers, including the man who was pushing the plan hardest, John Eastman, conceding, as the committee also showed on Thursday, that even he did not believe the scheme was lawful, despite all of that. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, kept pushing for it anyway, even as the Capitol itself was under attack by his supporters, those folks that he had incited. Gripping new evidence on Thursday also detailed how the mob that stormed the Capitol came within 40 feet of where Mike Pence and his team were sheltering, further highlighting the danger that. Donald Trump had put him in. And near the end of the third day of proceedings on Thursday, the panel revealed that John Eastman himself, who clearly knew that he had likely violated the law, both invoked the Fifth Amendment 100 times during his videotaped deposition with the committee and even asked Donald Trump for a pardon. Before he left office, Eastman did not receive that pardon after Vice President Mike Pence, to his credit, refused to budge from his position that he had no legal or constitutional authority to unilaterally overturn the 2020 presidential election in his ceremonial role as President of the Senate on January 6th. The committee also shared. A whole bunch of video with a whole bunch of angry Donald Trump rioters talking about bringing harm, to put it nicely, to Mike Pence. Pence's own top legal advisor, Greg J- Jacob, offered extensive testimony to that end as a live witness at Thursday's proceedings, along with the exceedingly slow-talking former judge, <laughs> J. Michael Luddig. Yeah. Joining us today for special coverage of Thursday's proceedings and the accumulating evidence being laid out so far by the House panel's gripping three days so far of public testimony is, as always, as you've heard, our own Desi Doyen. Hello, yes. Desiree. Hello. We're also delighted to be joined today once again by, well, she's sort of our our own J6 hearing correspondent at this point, Heather Digby-Parton who is, of course, the award-winning opinion journalist from Salon.com and her own much-beloved Hullabaloo blog, where she is known simply as Digby. Welcome back, Heather Digby-Parton. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And we are delighted to be joined today by Randall D. Eliason, former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he served as chief of the public corruption and government fraud section. He's now a law professor at George Washington University Law School, uh, in D.C. He's a frequent opinion contributor at Washington Post and author of his own Sidebars blog, O. Randall Lyson, Welcome back to the broadcast, sir, and thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you. Great to be back.
1: Uh, let me start with you, Heather. Uh, as the hearing's just wrapped up an hour or so before we uh, go to air here, so we're sort of scrambling to make uh, sense of it here. In the previous hearing, the committee made it clear that not only was the election uh not uh not stolen by joe biden it was not fraudulent in any way but donald trump knew that he was told that repeatedly by his top advisors his attorneys the doj his own family members but he continued to pretend otherwise anyway today's hearing as i heard it made clear that not only was it unlawful and unconstitutional for Vice President Pence to overturn the election on his own by refusing to accept, you know, legitimate electoral votes on January 6th, but that everyone knew that... Including even the guy who was selling that plan the hardest, Attorney John Eastman and his pal uh, Rudy Giuliani. Again, uh, even they did not believe what they were selling. They all knew that it was wrong, but they did it anyway, and so did Donald Trump. Ultimately, I think that was my major takeaway from Thursday's testimony. Yours?
4: I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's what we learned was really the, the lawyers themselves didn't believe the legal theory that they were that they were flogging, and and in fact, there were moments in there which one of the more surprising ones that nobody's really talking about, but I thought it was interesting that they asked Eastman. I, I think it, maybe it was Jacob who asked him. You know, well, so what do you think? I mean, can any vice president do this? And he just blatantly said, "Well, no. Al Gore couldn't have done it. That would have." wouldn't have done it, and Kamala Harris couldn't do that mm-hmm. in 2024, but we want you to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's just <laughs> so, like, so outlandishly, just blatantly partisan <clears throat> hackery that you know, it kind of, everything, all the rest of these arguments they were having really seemed superfluous when you when you realize that that's what they were really arguing about. What they were saying, what Eastman, and of course Trump, were saying, we just want you to do this. It, 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 we're, we've made up some some, you know, Sort of, uh, you know, legal ex- excuses why you can do it. That, but we don't believe those either. What we do believe is that you have the power to do it simply because you are there. You can do it. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is that there is some acknowledgement, and, and we've never really discussed what would have happened if he had. Right? What was what was the, what were the cascading events that would come from that? Today, for the first time, what we're hearing is that people in the White House were saying it you know, it's going to be taken up in the streets. There are going to be riots. And the answer to that was, yeah, well, we've had political violence before. And I come back to that same thing that I've said many times on this show before. The night before the the um, the insurrection, the mm-hmm. night before January 5th, Pence came to the White House and had a discussion with Trump about this. And tr- this is, was all in Bob Woodward and Bob Costa's book. that um, They had a discussion with him, and he... he Told Mike Pence, you know, why don't you can just do this? And Pence was arguing with him and saying, "No, I do not think one man has the authority to do this." We heard that echoed by all of his mm-hmm. his legal advisors, and and uh, and Trump said he's li- out there. He opens the window. It's cold, you know. They're describing the, the you know all the details. It's cold outside. He opens the French door, I guess, to the to the White House, and you can hear the the um, ralliers that were out mm-hmm. there the night before, and that was the Proud Boys and all those other people. There was a rally on, on January fifth, mm-hmm. And he said, you could hear them outside there kind of talking and yelling and cheering and what have you. And he goes, and Trump said, and as Pence said, well, I no, one man, it, I don't have the authority to do this. Trump responded. He listened. He goes, what if these people say you do? Yeah. And that is really, I think, what we're leading up to is, is, and I don't know if they're going to say this explicitly in the hearings or whether or not we're all just going to have to, you know, sort of read between the lines here. But they were prepared for insurrection, but not the one they got. Mm. They were prepared to do this thing. And then, of course... There would be riots in the street. These 78 million people who just had their election stolen from them riots, were going riots to react against, And that yeah. is in the insurrection that they were planning for.
2: Yeah, and that, that would give given Trump the opportunity to uh, declare martial law exactly. and do all kinds of other mischief.
1: Which goes back to the reason why uh, the uh, Nancy Pelosi and so forth were concerned about militarizing the Capitol. Uh, at the time because they were worried that the military would actually turn against them perhaps or that Donald Trump at least would order the military to turn against them. Randall Lyson, I'm wondering uh, what your takeaway was from uh, Thursday's hearings and, you know, as nothing like this I don't think has ever really happened before to my knowledge, uh, do we even have laws uh, that are, are, you know, that might appropriately respond to whatever happened here? Were, Were any laws... Even conceivably broken in, you know, giving bad legal advice that the lawyers themselves appear to have known was bad legal advice? Uh,
3: can I just say, first of all, that I think Al Gore is probably really kicking himself right now? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sure. he didn't come up with this plan. Right. Um, so, <laughs> I, I had two main takeaways from today. Yeah. Um, one, one was the same as, as yours uh, that you've discussed. Is just the level of detail about how Eastman himself and the other lawyers didn't even really buy this theory themselves. So it was really just a complete sham, and they knew it. But mm-hmm. they were just going to push it anyway. And, and uh, uh, the, the the idea that uh, that it was just a complete fraud, and even even the lawyers knew it. So the, we kind of knew that. But the level of detail that came out today was just so compelling and painting that picture for us. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I thought was just the the, act, the evidence of the real real peril that Mike Pence was in. I mean, <laughs> the level of detail about how scary it was and how close it got, and yeah. The, yeah. the witnesses that we heard. I think it was the first time we heard about that uh, confidential informant who said basically, if we caught him, we were going to kill him.
1: Yes. You know? um, that way, and that was a, a proud boy. Apparently, testimony yeah. in um, I, I don't know if he's one of the proud boys who has been uh, charged with sedition, a seditious conspiracy yet or not. But yeah, said that if yeah, we found him, a couple
3: of him, them are cooperating. Uh, so it was probably one of the cooperators who's yeah. giving statements to the FBI. But so I mean, that you know, it was just really chilling.
1: Um,
3: yes. uh, the the evidence that came out today about how how much danger he and the others were actually in, uh, and how how indifferent Trump was to all that. So. And is there? My,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, is is there? You know, as an, a longtime attorney, but is is there any penalty here for giving bad advice uh, as an yeah. attorney? If you know that you're essentially giving bad advice, and in this case, sort of just making up laws as you go.
3: So that alone is not a crime. I mean, being a bad lawyer is not a crime. And you know, the, I mean, he filed sixty some lawsuits around the country. Those weren't crimes, even though the legal theories in those lawsuits were were pretty bogus. I mean, that alone is definitely not crime, but if you then use that to do other criming, like <laughs> obstructing a congressional proceeding, unleashing a mob on the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, encouraging uh, phony electors to file false statements with the National Archives, obstruct the congressional certification of the election, then, yeah, I mean, even if you, even if you sincerely believe that your legal theory is correct, it doesn't mean you can use unlawful means to try to get your desired outcome, if a judge rules against me in a lawsuit, and I and the top lawyers in the country are all convinced that my legal position is right and the judge gets it wrong, that doesn't mean I get to firebomb the courthouse or you know unleash a mob on the judge or threaten him to try to get him to change his mind. So, no, providing bad legal advice alone is not criminal, but using that as a uh, window dressing, you know, to try to come up with some phony basis to then do all these other unlawful acts, yeah, there are definitely crimes that potentially apply to that.
1: How about providing bad legal advice when you know that it is bad legal advice? Because, and I think, I'm not sure if this was the first time we've heard this, but uh, there was, you know, quite a bit of uh, various pieces of testimony and uh, evidence and so forth to show that even John Eastman knew this was not legal. Uh, You raise the point about, you know, uh, we don't want Al Gore to do it, we don't want uh, Kamala Harris to do it, but we're just fine if our guy does it. Uh, And at other times, he said, no, there is nothing that gives the vice president this authority, and then he recommended it and pushed it anyway.
3: Right. So again, standing alone, I mean, lying to another person is generally not a crime. Giving bad legal advice, even if you know it, is not a crime. It's what you do with it. Mm. Or in this case, what it shows about the recipient's state of mind, right? So, I mean, the reason all of this is important in the end, if we're talking about possible criminal charges, is you combine this with with the prior hearing, you know, where Trump is told repeatedly by everybody, including his own people, look, you lost the the claims of election fraud, are, mm-hmm. are phony, there's nothing there. And then today, you know, being told repeatedly, look, this legal theory is nonsense, we can't do it, you know, what you're trying to have us do is illegal. And yet he goes ahead anyway. Right, and so all of these things uh, become relevant to his state of mind, which is going to be the key issue in any potential criminal case. Uh, did he? Can he defend by saying he had some kind of good faith belief that the election really was stolen, and he was just trying to, you know,
4: mm-hmm. to right
3: that wrong? Or did he really, in fact, know this was all baloney, and he just did it anyway in a corrupt attempt to cling to power?
1: Uh, and, and yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I've got uh, I've got some uh, more questions along those lines for you uh, that I want to get to in the next block. Uh, Heather, do you know that was uh, since uh, Randall raised it here? Um, I had not heard uh, before that the uh, Proud Boys had said it. I think the quote was: "They would have killed Mike Pence if given a chance. They would have killed anyone they got their hands on, including Nancy Pelosi." Is that the first time we've heard that from anyone? Have you heard that uh, b- elsewhere before uh, Thursday's testimony?
4: I have not, and I, I mean I'm no expert on all the filings that are in the uh, in the January sixth um, prosecution. Mm-hmm. But I do know that today the Department of Justice uh, released, or at least it, it was released in a filing that the Department of Justice is demanding, uh, again, that they get a hold of the transcripts that the, um, that the committee is, is you know, has in their possession. And I don't know if that relates to this particular thing, but it seems that it might. And there's all, there are also a number of trials that are coming up uh, in which people are asking for discovery, et cetera, et cetera. So it's possible... That um that just sort of you know came up that maybe the committee had this, and maybe the Department of Justice didn 't have it, or something like that, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out, but uh, I know that there's some controversy I was just sort of reading you know through Twitter, and there were some people sort of talking about that, so I had not heard it before, mm. not that it surprises me mm. in the least, and I think it was pretty clear from all the footage that we 've seen mm. that if any that forty foot you know separation between pence and the rioters, if there were any of those Proud Boys, or maybe even any of the just the regular, you know, insurrectionists there that day, who they had worked themselves up into a total frenzy. Yes, they did. um, That, you know, you can just imagine, you know, that we we are aware, uh, just as as humans watching other humans, that that kind of mob violence, it can get away from people. And if they'd have spotted him there, or Pelosi, or any, uh, frankly, any Mm -hmm. of them, I think even Republicans. I don't think anybody was safe. Um, anybody was safe there because that they were really, really worked up, and and it doesn't surprise me at all. It'd be very interesting to see whether or not there was any kind of conscious plan within this Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, planning that we've now been informed was going on, and that perhaps there was even some coordination. Um, whether or not actually seeking out Mike Pence to kill him was part of that. I mean, that's so horrifying. I can't even believe what I'm saying, but, you know, wouldn't be surprised. Let's put
2: it that way. Well, yeah, because their point was to actually stop the certification by any means necessary. You know, they would say that, oh, it'll give you, you know, 10 days, Eastman would say, 10 days for the states to investigate. I don't think they actually meant to do that. I think they wanted to just stop it so Trump could declare martial law and prevent anything from moving forward after that. That's my opinion, though.
1: And, you know, I know that uh, folks tend to uh, suddenly like someone who may agree with them. There's a lot of uh, Democrats out there who think Liz Cheney is the most wonderful thing ever. Uh, I will uh, give her great credit for what she is doing. Um, Doesn't mean I forget about everything uh, that I disagree with her on uh, strongly. And, you know, in fact, there's next to nothing I like or agree with or even admire about Mike Pence. But I think it must be said what he did on January 6th. And this uh, seems like the more we learn about it, the the more this becomes clearer and clearer under all of the pressure that he was under. I think it's fair to say, and not an overstatement, given the conditions, um, a very real profile in courage. I got to get to a break here, but uh, do you agree? I'll get both Heather and Randall and Desi's thoughts. Heather, I do. You do? Go ahead, yeah. Randall.
3: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was thinking earlier. You know, this whole hearing was a great campaign commercial for Pence twenty twenty four in the general election. Maybe not so much in the Republican primaries. Right. <laughs> oh God.
1: And of course, he'll be going up against Liz Cheney at that point. Uh, (laughs) Heather, are you willing to uh, say that was a profile? I will step
4: on this just a little bit because to me, I you know I I understand why he would have wanted to get legal backup and you know you know uh, confer with people like Ludwig and Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, um, but whatever, (laughs) and people to get to you know to get their opinions on this. But the truth is, any, in my view, any decent, intelligent person, all they needed to do was to say, no, I'm not doing this. We lost, we're not, I'm not doing it. And that, that he went through the song and dance that he went through and that, you know, they were going back and forth and gee, should I, shouldn't I, you know, is this okay? Can I do it is ridiculous. Because what it indicates is that he was willing to at least, you know, Entertain you know, it. Sort of, yeah. I mean, he was willing to at least entertain the idea that the election had been stolen, which was ridiculous. And I would like somebody someday to ask him directly if he thought the election was legitimate, mm. because I think that's really the question for Mike Pence at this point.
1: Excellent question. All right. We've got to take a quick break here. We'll come back with our special coverage of day three of the House January 6th committee hearings with our guest Randall Eliasson, former federal prosecutor and Salon's uh, Heather Digby Parton. I want to talk about uh, some of the legal matters, specific legal matters, and if we are getting closer to, you know, an actual case against the actual former disgraced president of the United States. You're listening to The broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
5: I believe that had Vice President Pence obeyed the orders from his president and the president of the United States of America during the joint session and declared Donald Trump the next President of the United States that declaration of Donald Trump as the next President would have plunged America into what i believe would have been tantamount to a revolution within a constitutional crisis in america which in my view would have been the first constitutional crisis since the founding of the republic.
1: Well, you know, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That is, of course, the very slow-talking Very conservative former Judge J. Michael Luttig testifying before the House January 6th Committee on Thursday. We're speaking with my guest Randall Eliasson, former prosecutor and George Washington University Law School professor, and the great Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo. Randall, uh, after the previous hearing, the uh, question became clear. You raised this a bit in our previous segment uh, that if uh, if, if the argument is that Trump cannot be prosecuted because somehow he believed there was fraud despite mountains of evidence that there wasn't and he was told as much over and over again Um, and then we learn on thursday that he was told over and over again that mike pence did not have the responsibility to do what trump was pushing him to do as a former federal prosecutor when does when does it become the president's responsibility to to know things to know facts and frankly whether it's the president or anyone else when does it become their responsibility to know things versus you know kind of make them up judge uh, Ludig wrote in his remarks for the committee on Thursday willful ignorance of law in fact is neither excuse nor defense in law willful ignorance thus is neither political nor legal excuse or defense available to the former president of the United States his allies and his supporters and yet we hear oh the DOJ may not want want to bring charges, because if Donald Trump actually believed these things were true, then we're going to have trouble charging him. Is he right?
3: Oh, sorry, I dozed off there a little bit. Yeah, I that. know. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What was the question? No, I don't know. I
1: forgot already. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so I think you're actually hearing less of that these days uh, as the evidence continues to come out. But I'll say a couple things. First, it doesn't matter how Sincerely held, my legal belief is. I think we talked about this in the last segment, right? I mean, doing criminal actions uh, to try to get the result, I think I'm legally entitled to. That doesn't excuse the crime, right? Mm-hmm. So even if he could establish, you know, that he actually thought there was a lawful basis for these challenges or things like that, that's not going to excuse using unlawful means to obstruct the proceeding, to you know, uh, send the phone to electors to, to Washington, things like that. But, second, uh, as, as you said, this all the evidence coming out in the last couple of hearings is is tending to show the how unlikely it is that he actually truly believed this that uh, everybody around him was telling him it was it was bogus, the legal theories, the facts and and yet he continued so at some point, a jury is allowed to infer if you get to that point, um, you know somebody can claim, oh." They had good intent, they, they weren't intending to do anything wrong It was all just a big mistake Think about the uh, Elizabeth Holmes recently The Theranos trial, you know, the big, mm-hmm. the big blood uh, sampling machine trial mm-hmm. You know, she was charged with fraud and her, and her defense was, I really thought the machine would work I never tried to defraud my investors, you know I really believed in it And the jury is entitled at some point to reject that If the evidence becomes so overwhelming That they can find, they can infer beyond a reasonable doubt That you actually knew exactly what you were doing um, and I think, you know, as these facts continue to pile up about how, how much he was told, and by so many people in his own staff, that all of this was nonsense, and yet he went ahead anyway, you're getting to that point where, you know, reasonable people are going to look at this evidence and say, look, don't, don't try to tell me you thought this was actually legitimate, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous.
1: And, and to me, that seems like uh, but that was the sort of the only excuse that I heard. Why is it, Why aren't the uh, uh, has uh, aren't the DOJ bringing uh, charges yet? Of course, it's take time for them to investigate and so forth. But the biggest concern was, oh, they're going to have a very difficult time if Donald Trump really believed that these things were true. And you're yeah. right. These hearings are just dismantling that idea. Uh, Heather, pardon, uh, after Monday's hearing, Trump released a pretty silly 12 page rebuttal to the hearings to date. I don't know if you put yourself through uh, reading it. Uh, we did, and we uh, rebutted his dumb rebuttal on our previous broadcast. But one of his complaints. Uh, That has been echoed on Fox News or vice versa, by the way, is that, you know, he isn't allowed to bring rebuttal witnesses to all of this. There's no one to cross examine the committee's witnesses, even though I should add that it is a bipartisan committee. But does Trump and I guess Fox News have a point here with the with the case be being, uh, being made by the uh, J six committee be stronger if that happened, even if only to sort of take away the bad faith talking point from Trump and his uh, MAGA party, because that sort of seems like all they have left at this point. Oh, it's it's so political, uh, you know. There's 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 no one there to cross examine witnesses and so forth.
4: Oh, well, they whined about this stuff in in committee hearings throughout Trump's um, presidency. And in the impeachment hearings, I mean, there's always something, right? Uh, and the fact is, is that he needs to take that up with Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin McCarthy and his, and, you know, the whole Republican, you know, party in, mm-hmm. in the Congress rejected the idea of a, of a bipartisan, independent bipartisan commission, which would have had an equal number. They all would have had to agree on what they were presenting. It all would have been done very differently than this one. Um, and they rejected that idea, and then and that 's because Kevin McCarthy wanted to put a bunch of people who were involved in January sixth on the yeah. actual committee and you know and then he ended up taking his ball and going home, so he has no one to blame but his own people, but more importantly than that, the witnesses that they are using in this there isn't has there been even one Democrat even even appearing in any of these hearings other than nope. Then the people that are on the panel, and even that, it's only been mm-hmm. two. It's been Benny Thompson, and, and today it was, uh, was uh, Congressman Aguilar. <laughs> it's all Republicans they they these are all people you know and i guess trump's out there screaming they're all a bunch of rhinos yeah. but at some point people in the country have got to go wait a minute this is his own staff these are republican these are republican officials these are people who you know i guess there was there was the the police the the police who the capital Policewoman who, uh, Capitol policewoman who mm-hmm. testified in the first in the first hearing other than that though, that that this has been Republicans making the case. Now you can call that political if you want, but it's a kind of a strange definition of, you know, partisanship in the way in my view. Well, so I don't think they have a leg to stand on, well, on
1: that. I, well, I will add it might be a strange definition of partisanship, but that is what they do. Anyone who would testify against Donald Trump is not a real Republican. They're all <laughs> rhinos. Right. Uh, and uh, even at the end of Thursday's hearings, I don't know if you uh, I don't know what You know, channel you were watching on, I was watching on Fox News today. And uh, at the end of the hearing, Judge Luttig said uh, something like Donald Trump presents a clear and present danger to the United States. But he added that the danger is not so much what he did in 2020. The danger is what he and his supporters are now planning to do in 2024. And over on Fox News, uh, constitutional attorney, so-called Jonathan Turley, said Uh he was very surprised that the committee would want to become so political Uh, At the end, even though it was actually the conservative judge, uh, Michael Luttig, who raised that point. And frankly, it's not a political point, as I see it. That's about the Constitution and democracy. No, I mean, are the American people dumb enough to see all of this as merely a political exercise? Uh, Or am I wrong? And and that's what it actually is.
4: Well, I mean... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, yeah, if you're watching Fox News, what you see is Jonathan Turley saying, oh, it's so political. You not they attention put on, to this. They put on these partisans here who are just, you know, giving the political line, which, of course, is, is ridiculous. I mean, it, Michael J. Michael Luddick is. <laughs> I mean, it's like they might as well have dredged up Antonin Scalia from the grave and put him up there, yeah. and had him making these, making those comments. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't agree with Luddick. I'm sure my my colleague here on this, on this uh, program doesn't agree with Michael Luddick but you know, on, on many issues. But on this, this is this is what you call. I don't know, you know, non-partisanship, right? I mean, it's not partisan. It's anything but partisan, because you've got that guy making the case that these people were putting their their own, you know, Trump was putting his own political future, his own political well-being, and the party, by the way, was putting their own political well-being above the country. That's the case that's being made, and it's being made by Republicans and and arch-conservatives who are making that case. So, you know, I mean, sure, they're going to say that on Fox, but, you know, what are we going to do? You know, what can you do about that? That's just what they do, and and you just got to carry on and hope that a few people out here in the country... Are somehow listening or getting some inkling of what's going on, and kind of go, "Well, that's weird." You know, that's a Republican guy, isn't he? You know, <laughs> yeah. and hopefully we'll 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 maybe think a little bit. I don't know. History will certainly show it to be that.
1: Yeah, uh, Randall. Let me uh, focus on your experience, uh, your expertise as a, as a prosecutor and a law professor uh, in white collar crime and government fraud. The committee has raised uh, the ma- the matter on Monday that Trump, while being told repeatedly that he had lost the election, fair and square he was raising money via email from his supporters sometimes dozens of times a day with these really scammy emails using the false premise that the election was stolen he raised 250 million dollars for yeah. an official <clears throat> election defense fund which does not seem to have existed does yeah. that fall into the category of chargeable uh, fraud and if so is that a civil or a criminal charge
3: wire fraud Prosecutor's favorite. Um, yeah, that was really interesting uh, testimony that came out from that hearing, and I was uh, right away thinking this is almost a whole separate avenue of, of possible mm-hmm. inquiry and possible, definitely criminal. Uh, that's kind of a textbook allegation of lawyer fraud. Mm. Um, you uh, tell people you're doing one thing with the money, you lie, you know, send out a bunch of lies about the reason you need the money and what you're going to do with the money, and then you divert the money to something else after they sent it to you. Um, and you use email uh, or online contributions to do it, that is a federal crime called wire fraud, if proven. And as soon as that information came out, I started thinking about, again, that that as a possible kind of whole additional uh, avenue that somebody needs to be looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, Now they're going to say, oh, there was all this fine print in the emails about how the money could really be used, and this is just typical for campaign finance. You know, so you've got to investigate it. But... um, Absolutely, and separate and apart from the insurrection and what happened on January sixth, that's just straight up fleecing your donors, right? Is that a
1: federal case is that, or a uh, um, yeah? Yeah, a state federal case. wire fraud. Yep. Okay.
3: In, in USC thirteen forty three, mm. um, and uh, and that's part of a pattern. You know, think about the uh, Steve Bannon, you know, case that he got pardoned for, but the mm-hmm. build the wall. You know, they're going to raise all this money to build the wall, and they're spending the money elsewhere, and just again at the, taking advantage of the their gullible. Contributors and flat out stealing money from them—that's the allegation. And if that's proven, that's definitely a federal fraud.
1: Now it seems to me, uh, Randall Lyasin, that the uh, January 6th committee is laying this out much like a legal case. Uh, I, I'm wondering if you agree, uh, since you're an actual prosecutor as opposed to just playing one on the radio. Uh, and uh, you know, as a former DOJ prosecutor, have they present? If if they are laying it out that way, have they presented? Enough that the DOJ would have the basis that they would need at the very late at the very least to begin the process of bringing charges against Donald Trump based on what you have seen to date uh, and and if so, what would those charges be for?
3: Well, I don't think there's any question that we've seen enough to begin an investigation. I mean there's certainly a basis for a grand jury investigation, and I think that's happening. I mm-hmm. think Merrick Garland has said consistently that. They're investigating all of this and everything that happened, and they're going to take it up as high as it goes. And I, I take it as word. I know people are frustrated with the pace, uh, but it is the largest and most complex criminal investigation in U.S. history, and even smaller white-collar cases take time, no. uh, just kind of by the nature of the animals. So uh, there's definitely enough to, to, uh, to be investigating. And you know, a lot of the evidence that's coming out Although the committee is not focused on proving crimes, obviously that's not their charge, uh, it sure is relevant to mm. <laughs> to possible criminal charges, and again, especially that issue of Trump's state of mind. The flip side that I just have to inject a little bit of caution is, you know, we are seeing what the committee chose to show us. Uh, it's, a very, it's a pretty one-sided presentation. Uh, the witnesses aren't being subject to cross-examination. You know, there's no opposing counsel in there, and so... A lot of times things that look super compelling when they're presented in this kind of format uh, become a little less compelling or you start to see a few holes in them when you actually are able to challenge them mm-hmm. uh, something uh, by someone presenting evidence from the other side. So looks incredibly compelling. I'd just also inject a little bit of caution saying that doesn't necessarily mean you're over the hump in terms of actually proving a criminal case to a unanimous jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Which is a much more difficult task than presenting a public hearing.
1: But there is certainly enough to begin such an investigation at the very least. And by the way, I think we're all on uh, Team uh, Marcy Wheeler here in, in that we're okay with the time that it is taking uh, no. and, and believe that the DOJ actually is looking at all of this. Uh, I got to. Well, uh, yeah,
2: because you got to get it right. You can't mess yeah, it up. Absolutely.
1: No, you get one absolutely. shot at this. Uh, uh, and I have to get out a little bit earlier here than than uh, usual, because we've got to get to our Green News report, so let me hit each of you with one last question here. Uh, Heather, can you explain uh, the, I'll call it, controversy over uh, uh, about whether the panel should or shouldn't make a formal criminal referral to the Department of Justice at the end of their process?
4: Well, I, you know, I'm not really sure why there is a question about that i mean i but you know what they seem to you know benny thompson who said earlier this week that he um you know didn't think they were going to do it and then people stepped up I and mean, wait a minute yeah yeah we may very well we haven't discussed it yet blah 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 i mean does it really matter i, I mean you know they, oh. it, it's basically i mean it's <laughs> not really even a thing right it's just a letter don't get ahead, ahead
1: of me randall that was my last question <laughs> for you so yeah go ahead, yeah, go ahead.
4: <laughs> Sorry, I mean they sorry. can they can they can just send it you know they can just send the letter or not send the letter the evidence is out there and you know and basically I just want to make one one small point which uh-huh. is that uh you know Trump wants to have equal time and wants people to cross examine witnesses and do all that he's even saying that's not what he wants but he wants us to have equal time to quote Prove that the election was
5: stolen. stolen.
4: So that is what that is what he wanted wanted to do. That's what he wanted his people to do: is to get up there and you know have some idiot from Michigan come out and say you know yeah you know that, that mm-hmm. girl who you know sort of drunkenly got <laughs> yes, yes, to get up and testify that she saw some votes were stolen. So that's just I just wanted to add that, that that's really what they're after.
1: And that was, by the way, that was the bulk of his so-called twelve-page rebuttal. Was exactly. he just rehashing all of these things that we already know. And and that have already been debunked. Uh, Randall Eliason, uh, again, as a former DOJ prosecutor, how important is a criminal referral from Congress in regard to uh, DOJ investigating or prosecuting what the committee is revealing? Do they need to make a referral? I mean, uh, no. Merrick Garland says he's been watching every hour of the hearings.
3: It's meaningless. Uh, it, it's in fact, I've argued for a long time that it would actually be a bad idea because it actually could be counterproductive. It makes yes. then if DOJ were to if <laughs> DOJ were to proceed, then you're just opening up the argument that oh look, there's Garland doing Nancy Pelosi's bidding because the Democrats asked him to prosecute right. somebody. Thank you. I think it's a bad idea, <laughs> and it's not going to change a bit what DOJ does. They're going to look at the evidence on their own. They're going to decide whether to prosecute or not. Uh, Congress, this committee needs to just stay in its lane. They're doing a great job of informing the public, creating a historical record, consider legislative reforms. They should not be wasting time trying to decide whether there have been crimes committed or not. This is not a situation where they're uncovering something DOJ doesn't already know about, and DOJ needs a heads-up from them. The knows about this, and they're already looking at it very actively. So a referral, the whole debate about a referral is just a waste of time, and it actually would do more harm than good.
1: They need to get out a, a quill pen and some parchment and ride out the <laughs> referral and drive a horse on over to the Department of Justice and let them know about this terrible thing they've discovered.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, they'll
1: never flash, hear about right? it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Always great uh, talking with both of you. I look forward to doing so again in the very near future. Randall D. Eliason is, of course, uh, the uh, George Washington University Law School professor. Former prosecutor at the Department of Justice, you can find him contributing at Washington Post and on his own blog, SidebarsBlog.com, and on the Twitters, he is R.D. Eliasson. Heather Digby Parton, of course, can be found at Salon.com and Digby'sBlog.net, and on the Twitters at Digby56. Uh, thanks, guys. Always a delight. I look forward to speaking to both of you soon. Thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. All right, we've got to take a quick break here. We will come back with Desi Doyne. You're on deck yep. still. A big day <laughs> with the Green News Report. That's next. Straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Okay, Desi Doyen, Uh, there's one good thing, as you discuss in uh, the Green News Report coming up, about the sweltering temperatures, triple-digit heat index, like, all over the country. Yeah. There is uh, one kind of upside to that uh, happening today and for the next week or so. Maybe people will stay inside and watch the uh, January 6 hearings? <laughs>
2: yeah, maybe so. I mean, I have to say that I'm impressed with how the January 6th committee is showing that Trump lied about what he knew, that he knew what he was pressuring Pence to do was a crime and was illegal, and he did it anyway.
1: They are doing a hell of a good job. I look forward to where this all goes from here. At least two or three more hearings, I think, ahead. Uh, Until then, though, we got to get to it. Our latest Green News report.
5: The war
3: has reinforced an abject lesson. Our energy mix is broken.
2: The rush for new fossil fuel supplies is delusional, says UN chief. New study finds car tires are a surprising source of pollution. Plus,
1: it hadn't been... For the tremendous growth we had had, especially in solar the past few years, we would have already been experiencing rolling blackouts.
2: Rickety Texas electric grid bailed out by wind and solar.
1: All of those solar savior stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This this earth warming and and carbon is, is actually healthy for us. It, 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 is, it's able, it helps us to feed people. It helps keep people alive. It helps... There's The earth is more green than it was um, years and years ago, and that's because of the earth warming. That's because of carbon. Oy vey. Yep, it's another Marjorie Taylor Green News Report.
5: I'm gonna
1: soak up the sun. Okay, Desi Doyen, I wonder what Marjorie Taylor Green... Will tell the millions of people who are now broiling across the nation about how fantastic global warming is.
2: <laughs> Indeed. The record-shattering heat wave this week has set ominous new records for overnight temperatures as well in several Midwest cities like St. Louis. And hot nighttime temperatures are especially dangerous, particularly in areas without widespread air conditioning. The extreme heat has also fueled new wildfires and new evacuations in Arizona and California. But there is some good news for Texans. Despite Republican attacks on renewable energy, wind and solar resources are bailing out the state's infamously deregulated electric grid, delivering 40 percent of total electricity needs amid record demand, keeping the power on and costs down, in part because the sun and wind are free.
1: Wow. Solar and wind, 40 percent of Texas Energy production? Right now? Yes. Wow, that is impressive. You're welcome, Texas.
2: Meanwhile, Russia's war on Ukraine has pushed world governments to increase production of natural gas and build new infrastructure to export it to Europe. But a new study warns that while that could help slow natural gas prices in the near term, in the long term, new fossil fuel infrastructure is likely to slow down the transition away from fossil fuels and also runs the risk of locking in new emissions for decades to come causing the world to overshoot the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature target in the Paris Climate Agreement.
1: And while it may keep prices down now, it's going to cost a hell of a lot more in the future. Don't tell Marjorie Taylor Greene.
2: United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres this week called the rush to exploit fossil fuels delusional.
3: As we invested massively in renewable energy in the past, we should not be so dramatically at the mercy of the instability of fossil fuel markets now. Our world faces climate chaos. New funding for fossil fuel exploration, production, infrastructure is delusional. It will only further feed the scourge of war, pollution and climate catastrophe. Renewables are the peace
1: plan of the 21st century totally fake accent.
2: In other news, a new study finds that car tires are a significant source of particle pollution. In real-world road tests, researchers found that tiny particles shed from tires pollute the air, water, and soil with a wide range of toxic compounds at rates far higher than pollution from tailpipes. Currently, there are no regulations governing tire wear, but the scientists conclude that cleaning up just half of the most toxic tire brands would go a long way to eliminating tires as a
1: source of pollution. I'm just waiting for Marjorie Taylor Greene to tell us how particle pollution is really good for the earth.
2: Some good news. The Biden Department of Energy unveiled energy efficiency standards for inefficient residential gas furnaces, the first significant update in 30 years. The new standards will save consumers money by reducing energy waste and costs. The Los Angeles City Council voted unanimously to ban natural gas hookups in all new building construction beginning in 2026 to reduce indoor air pollution and the city's contribution to greenhouse gas emissions that cause man-made climate change.
1: So no more hookups in L.A.? Nope. Sad?
2: Finally, concrete is the world's favorite construction material, and its production accounts for nearly 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And if concrete were a country, it would be the world's third largest emitter. Wow. But engineers at Britain's Cambridge University say they have invented the world's first ever zero emissions cement. The recipe is complicated, but essentially they combine recycling of steel and cement into a single process that when powered by renewable electricity, eliminates nearly all direct carbon emissions if it scales up the process could be a game changer cleaning up both the concrete and steel industries
1: if it does scale up that sounds like good news it is i think for much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan and this has been your green news report
4: to see game changer
1: So there's that <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's that.
1: Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. As long as one doesn't
2: mind all of the slide into authoritarianism and insurrection and the fall of democracy, other than that, there's. Yeah, but
1: emissions free concrete, there's something. That's cool. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, (laughs) to my guest today, Randall D. Eliasson of George Washington University Law School, Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other that we have done since the beginning of Time you can download them for free at Bradblog.com. That's made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. If you have been thinking about supporting us but haven't gotten around to it, now's a great time. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.